Hello, kiddies. It's your old pal, the Crypt Keeper. And you're listening to Three Guys in a Flick. The good, the bad, and the gruesomely absurd. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Okay, I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Cabin in the Woods. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from Ken's cousin's cabin in the woods, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Hey, you guys want to read from this book? Whoa, 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 whoa. Where'd you get that? I don't know. It's just got this whole thing about pain and Latin. Yeah, but where did you get it? Down in the basement. Why would you go in? Oh, for fuck's sakes. And to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great. We had a great horror movie to watch this week. Yeah, and would you put the fucking book down, please? Can I pick up the puzzle box? No, but bring me that seashell. Oh, definitely. Definitely blow on it. I'm going to blow on the conch. That's for... Blow it hard. Don't I always? I'll give you something to blow. Yeah, you will, buddy. You cheeky fuckers. Tonight we are talking about Cabin in the Woods. This is round three of our four-round Halloween season extravaganza. Uh, Comic book guide, this was your pick. Why Cabin in the Woods? Well, I was looking for a movie that was both a horror movie and also sort of an unconventional horror movie. I love the fact that they make a play on the rules, kind of like you know, Scream did really well in their movie uh, with giving us the rules for horror movies. This movie almost you could take all of the facility scenes where they talk about you know why and why it has to happen this way and why things have to be made up, and you could put that into almost any other horror movie. Those clips, and it could almost be an add-on for. Was there someone behind the scenes? I just loved that kind of twist on the movie. Also, before he became a prick in, I guess, Hollywood, uh, I was a big fan of Joss Whedon. And I loved his uh, writing on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And if you're a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel or any of his other shows, uh, you can see a lot of those elements written into this movie. In fact, he even reused two actors from Buffy and Angel in this movie as well. Um, some of the storylines and some of the monsters are actually taken straight from the Buffyverse and put in this movie. So again, I, you know, I was, I'm a fan of his writing, not a fan of his personality and the way he treats his actors, but just love you know the way that this movie was written. I love how the actors did a great job uh, portraying their characters. I love the surprises and the dialogue. You know, I could almost be ready to review it right now. 4.75 fucks from the comic book guy. And then I guess that wraps it up for tonight. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, check it out. Did you see it in the theater? I believe I did, yes. Uh, have you ever seen The Cabin in the Woods, Professor? I saw it in my basement. Yeah? Mm-hmm. A while ago? Or was this the first time? Second time. Okay. 
Okay, cool. Uh, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I know I definitely saw it at home, and I remember thinking, wow, that was fucking cool. Because at the time, it was fucking original, right? It was original without being original, if that makes sense. But we're going to probably dive deep into that. Well, another thing I love about this movie, too, is you guys know I'm, I'm a huge prop collector, I love collecting swords and different elements, different items from different movies, especially horror movies. So it was kind of fun watching a movie, especially when they went out in the basement. And I've got, you know, next to me, my Necronomicon. I've got my Hellraiser box. I've got my Freddy glove. You know, I've got all these different elements all around me thinking, I wonder if I play with one of these, if one of, the, one of them will really come. All right. Why would you tempt the fate? You know, if you summon Freddy or Jason or anything from the Necronomicon, you're not going to fucking make it. Well, I figured I'd just race over here. Don't you wish that evil on me, Ricky Bobby? Shit. You keep your fucking horror stuff. Like we said last week, you were talking about the Airbnbs, right? Mm-hmm. I purposely do not put myself in horror movie situations. So, fuck that. Yeah, I'd fuck be the that. first to go, I think, in any horror movie. Uh, maybe second, as I'm looking at the professor. Released on April 13th, 2012, The Cabin in the Woods was directed by Drew Goddard. Screenplay by Joss Wheaton and Drew Goddard. And it stars Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, Anna Hutchinson, Fran Cran, Jesse Williams, Richard Jenkins, Bradley Whitfield, and a bunch of other sacrifices. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $30 million and brought in $67 million. Not too shabby. Not at all. And I guess this was uh, Drew's directorial debut? Yeah, he uh, had been writing a lot, him and Dickhead Wheaton. They're responsible for some pretty good shows uh, and movies. I was surprised to read about Josh Wheaton's uh, screenwriter credit on a certain animated movie. Toy Story. Yeah, I did not realize he played a role in that one, writing you, that one. You know what else he has a screenwriting credit on? What? Firefly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you yeah. fucker. Um, no, that's not what I was thinking. He created Firefly. Mm-hmm. Fucking fantastic show. And Serenity the movie. <sighs> different topic for a different podcast. Uh, he has a screenwriting credit on the best end of the world movie ever made. The 1998 Bruce Willis starring Armageddon. I thought you were going to say Dr. Horrible's sing-along. Well, no, he did that too. But uh, Drew Goddard wrote Cloverfield, and I remember thinking that Cloverfield was a lot of fun, and it was very reminiscent to an old-fashioned monster movie. Let's talk about this cast. Outside of Thor, uh, did you guys recognize any of this cast? Nobody. Nobody. No, not a person. Jesse Williams, he was on Grey's Anatomy. And I kept thinking the gal that played Dana, I kept thinking that she was the same gal who was in the office. Uh, But the cast, I thought, did a great job. You're talking about the main four. Yeah. uh, I thought they did really well. Uh, What'd you guys think of Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford? I loved their combination, how they played off of each other. They were fun. Yeah. Yeah, they come across as, you know, guys who have worked together forever, and this is just another event. Another day at the office. Yeah, you know, even though the world's fate is being decided. What did you think of the big surprise reveal of the director? Oh, I loved it. But I know who it was as soon as you hear the voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you, You can't tell me you don't know that voice. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the second time we've gotten to see Sigourney Weaver play a big bad. What was this first time? A movie that we reviewed, but I don't think we ever released it. Oh, Paul. Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah. We reviewed Paul. Yeah, yeah we Ooh. did. Oh, we've been doing this a while, huh? Yeah, but I don't <laughs> think we ever released Paul. No, we did not. Okay, listeners, stay tuned for Paul at some point. Uh, do you know who they originally wanted for the director? Probably the only other person that could have done it. No. Jamie Lee Curtis. No. Well, no. they did. They thought about her. But they originally sought somebody else, Who? and he said no. Who? Uh, Bruce Campbell. He was unavailable at the time. Oh, I think, and no offense to Bruce Campbell, I like Bruce Campbell, but I think Sigourney Weaver or Jamie Lee makes that role so much better. Yeah. But that's just me. I feel like that's Jamie Lee me. Curtis would have had to win at the end. <laughs> I don't know. That axe to the head looked pretty good. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Did you guys read any of the taglines for this movie? Uh, just a few. They were plays on the typical horror genre trope, yeah. right? I love that the different posters, different advertising had, it was almost like rules that like from Zombieland, one of them was, if you hear a strange noise outside, have sex. If an old man warns you not to go there, make fun of him. Quaint abandoned property, sold. If the basement door swings open, go down there. And if something is chasing you, split up. Those are all great rules for a horror movie. I I think those are the best rules. Do you know, besides different things in this movie, there is a connection between this movie and Nightmare on Elm Street? Our Nightmare on Elm Street? Our Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Um, The connection? No, I'm, I, I don't know. Heather Langenkamp. Oh, yes. Her husband did the FX, he and did. she is part of that, too. She part, she's part of it. She actually went under a different name in the credits, but she helped with creating all of the monsters in yeah. this movie. I, I actually did know that. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really kind of cool that she went from Nancy and being an actress, and then she got into the FX world. Mm-hmm. I think the FX world would be so, it'd be absolutely uh, astonishing, and I think. Be- and like I like to mention, you know, just to kind of toot my own horn, I have met Heather Langenkamp, one of the nicest actors you will ever meet out there. She even gave me a hug. Oh, all warm and fuzzy. That's yeah. sweet. Yeah. Let's yeah. take the Thor out of the bag. All right. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. He hadn't really done a whole lot, I think, before this movie. He'd been in a soap opera. I think he'd done some TV. No, I think this was the third movie to be released in a three-picture deal, but it was filmed first. Weren't you telling me something about that? Mm-hmm. So uh, he, this project gets shelved for a little while, and Chris Hemsworth does this. And because he does this, Joss Dickhead goes to Kevin Feige and says, Hey, I found your Thor. Well, did he get? I thought he got Red Dawn because of this and Thor. Oh, no, Red Dawn. I, that's, I don't think that's the third film. Oh. It, um, it might be. Was it? It might be. Oh, I, I heard that he got Thor because of this. Yeah, because of that scene where he kind of takes on that leadership role and really, you know, I think it was during the when he's going to do the, the bike thing, yeah. jumping over the ravine, they said he played it so well that they knew right away he was Thor. Yeah, and the rest is history, right? Mm-hmm. I think Chris Hemsworth as an actor is charismatic. I think he has great comedic timing. I think he's fucking hot. And um, I think I think he seems genuinely like a good guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. kind of comes across in his characters. What I do want to see one day is him play a villain. Not a villain like he is in that Netflix movie, but a real fucking villain. But we'll see. 
What'd you guys think of Thor? I thought he did a great. I thought his comedic timing in this, you know, horror slash kind of dark comedy movie. I thought he did a fantastic job. I thought he was okay. He didn't stand out to me in any particular way, other than just being Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, and and that's actually kind of a talent, right? Because he just blends in with this cast when, at the time this comes out, he's fucking Thor. And you know how we always say when you look up at the screen, oh, that's Tom Cruise, that's Mm -hmm. not Superman, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think when you look at Chris Hemsworth, I think when you look up at the screen, you go, oh, that's Kurt. Oh, that's Jed or whoever he plays in Red Dawn. Mm -hmm. I think he's one of those actors. (sighs) Is it trivia time? Why, yes, Don. I believe it is trivia time. I think you should keep that music in. In our continuing pursuit to crown the master of movie trivia, I've prepared a series of questions related to the movie we are reviewing this episode. Please wait until I finish each question before answering. At the beginning of the movie, Hadley is telling Sitterson about something his wife is doing at home unnecessarily. What is she doing? Baby-proofing the house. She is baby-proofing the house. Very good, Don. What year does Sitterson state... They last had a glitch. 1998. 1998. In 1998, what department was at fault for the glitch? Maintenance? Yeah, I haven't a clue. It was the chem department. Chem department. What country is mentioned to fail first? Coyoto? Uh, Stockholm? Oh, Stockholm at the beginning of the movie. It was movie. right at the movie. They said the Swedish. So yeah, that was Stockholm. Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, every one of those fails represents a movie? Yeah, and okay. I, I've actually written down all the movie references. Of course you did. The virgin of the piece is actually not a virgin. Who do we know for sure she slept with already? Her professor. Her professor. What was Kurt's major? Sociology. Sociology. Wow, you really did watch this movie. I've seen it a couple times. What road is the cabin located on? The scary one. No idea. Tillerman Road. When referring to the cabin, what does the harbinger call it? A scary place. The Buckner place. Who was the first to die? Um, it was the whore. Yes, absolutely. Jules. She has a name, Jules, yes. But she was the whore. Yeah. So he's not wrong. No. Okay. What do the Japanese schoolgirls turn the evil spirit into? Happy frog. A frog. A frog. Trick. Very good. When Marty and Dana go down in the elevator, yeah. what is the first creature they see? Uh, werewolf? Yeah, it's the fucking werewolf. Very good, Professor. And for the final question. Oh, thank fucking God. What is the last line of the movie? I know, right? Very close. Do you have a guess, Professor? Nope. I know. That would have been a fun weekend. Oh, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So I believe, Don, you pulled that one out. You know you're the cabin in the woods. So I guess that would put you in the lead. There you go. Good job, buddy. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Uh, Bong hits all around. (laughs) That was pretty good, dude. That's pretty good. In an underground laboratory, engineers Gary Sitterson and Steve Hadley discuss a mysterious ritual, 
after a similar operation in Stockholm just ended in failure. American college students Dana, Jules, Kurt, Holden, and Marty are spending their weekend at Kurt's cousin's cabin in the forest. From the lab, Sitterson and Hadley remotely control the cabin and manipulate the students by intoxicating them with mind-altering drugs. In the cabin cellar, the group finds bizarre objects, including the diary of Patience Buckner, a cabin resident abused by her sadistic family. Dana recites incantations from the diary and inadvertently summons the zombified Buckner family. So this movie starts off in not a traditional horror movie way. We open up with uh, the facility people. And I guess uh, Dickhead and Goddard did this on purpose because they wanted to make people think they were in the wrong movie. And I think it would have worked. Oh, I, I do too. And right off the bat, you kind of have to appreciate the way this is going to go. Uh, I remember when I saw it and after watching it, I thought to myself, wow, that's really kind of a smart horror movie. And this is just a prime example of it because we are in a non-assuming facility setting. It reminded me of War Games a little bit, remember? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, am I watching the right fucking movie? But the setup is absolutely brilliant. I guess the Citizen and Hadley were actually supposed to represent Goddard and Whedon. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned that in a book that was written outside of the movie. Yeah, I, I had heard that too. So Satterson and Hadley are having a conversation, and uh, the gal from the chem department runs up and says, Stockholm has failed, right? And right now we don't know what that means, but uh, it'll come back. And so Sitterson and Hadley are like, well, it's us and the Japanese. And they're the number Japanese one. Never fail. Yeah, they're number one. We're number two. Blah, blah, blah. It'll be okay. And, and at this point, we still don't know what's going on. Then we get the title card. And it says, The Cabin in the Woods. And then we cut to what now looks like the opening to our horror film, really. Mm -hmm. uh, we see Dana in her window dancing around with no pants on. And we are introduced to Jules, Kurt, and Holden. Holden. Uh, what did you guys think of this whole opening bit? Uh, I appreciate it. Just the, again, we've talked about before, a quick setup to learn about each character, their personalities. It doesn't take much. We don't need a lot of background. We don't need a lot of history. You figure out right away who is who. Sure. The other sure. thing that I appreciate it is, you know, we get into this later in the movie of, you know, figuring out that one's supposed to be a virgin, one's a whore, one's the jock, all that. But did you notice how they all kind of seem to have similar elements? Like Jules was actually had books and was actually fairly smart. And, you know, Kurt too, he was actually fairly smart. And our virgin, we learn right away, isn't a virgin. So it's just a lot of they're messing with the templates. So we already know here something may not be adding up. Well, I mean, sure. Uh, I did notice the gradual change in all of their personalities mm -hmm. because they had to fit the archetypes. I didn't see Marty changing at all other than, you know, once he was covered in blood, then he was a different person. And they addressed that in the end. Uh, he wasn't smoking the weed that they provided. He was smoking his own stuff and it was making him immune to 
what was going on. The right? big thing with Marty is I thought, you know, when they first introduced him, you get him as a stoner. He's out of, you know, totally out of it. And you think he's just going to be this loser guy who doesn't make any sense. And he's just comic relief. But you find out almost from the beginning, everything that he has said and everything he's done had a bit of wisdom in it and had a bit of, you know, almost like a wise man, like a wizard uh, in the fact that he could, he had things figured out pretty quickly. So he may have been the smartest of the bunch. Uh, Quite possibly. Well, I don't know. That's not really a fair statement because the bunch were susceptible to mind altering drugs. I'm saying because Kurt was pretty fucking smart. Uh, regarding Marty, though, what do you think of his bong? I fucking love that thing. I fucking want one. Do you know that it's real? Yeah. Do you know how much it costs? $5,000 to make the prototype for that yeah. thing. Yeah, crazy, huh? And it, it's an actual working thermal cup and bong. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Who needs one of those? Come Technology. On. I would never condone anything like that, but oh, still aren't amazing. You, aren't you fucking Mr. Prissy? It's, you know it's legal now, yeah, right? Okay. True. Um, we, uh, we pause this episode of three guys in the flick for BT time. So we get to meet our protagonists and we find out that the group is going up to a cabin in the woods, Kurt's cousin's cabin. And so they take off and after they leave the camera pans up and we get this guy who was watching them. Now we kind of know that the facility and this guy are in cahoots of some sort. But we still don't know in what type of capacity. Did you get, you know, again, this movie, we're going to be probably bringing up, or I'm going to be bringing up all the different call-outs here and there. Did you get the RV was a call-out to a horror movie? Uh, yeah, it was a call-out to Evil Dead, right? No, the, the RV was a call-out to The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, you're absolutely right. It was The Hills Have Eyes. And the shot when they're driving through the forest and it's the overhead, you know what that was a call-out to? Uh, is The Shining? The Shining. And when they get to the cabin in the woods, it specifically looks like a specific cabin. Do you know which cabin? I cannot think of it off the top of my head. Really? Oh, okay. Oh, he's... He, he, he's that like, was good, dude. I bought that. He's fun enough. I was about to fucking let you have it. Are you talking about Evil Dead 1, 2, no, or... Just, no, just, just the first one, bud. Okay. Just the first one. And uh, we'll just go ahead and say this now, listeners. There are a ton of references, and we'll probably touch on some of them, but not all of them. But there are a lot of great videos out there. If that's your thing, check them out, and uh, I think you'll have a lot of fun with it. And besides touching on them, we may be touching ourselves while we talk about them. Well, I mean, some things we got to leave to be a mystery. Don't I always say less is more? This is why we're not a video podcast. Oh, for fuck's sakes. They're on their way up to the cabin in the woods and they have to make the obligatory stop at a gas station how many times have we seen this like in well that's texas the point. chainsaw yeah. massacre uh there was another movie recently friday the 13th the same it's the same fucking scene from friday the 13th yeah but it's very deliberate i i, I like the banter that went on with uh the harbinger and mordecai and kurt Kurt and, but who, uh, Marty. 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 I loved his response. This is where you really get to kind of see that Marty does have something to him. Yeah. And he is very loyal to his friends. Yeah. But they, as every teenager in every horror movie does, they ignore him and they go up to the cabin. Uh, So they get there. What did you guys think of the cabin when you guys saw it? Well, having seen so many horror movies and seeing uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, my first thought is exactly what you said last week, which was, 
you don't go anywhere that puts you into a horror movie. Yeah. And that looked like something out of a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that, that it had electricity. It didn't look like it, it had electricity. I didn't see any power lines going to or from it. Yeah. And uh, it had like a two-way mirror. It kind of looked dingy on the outside, but on the inside, it didn't look too bad. No, it didn't. Yeah. Everyone had their own room. And uh, we find out that one of the rooms has a two-way mirror. Which, what was the point of the two-way mirror? Just to add a level of creepiness to it. What oh, has I agree. Happened, what has happened here I mean, before? They had the murder porn picture above it, and then you're moving, and you got this two-way mirror. Now, I understand the gases and stuff, the pheromone stuff, was making their inhibitions go lower, probably made them stay at the cabin anyway, uh, but I just didn't get like the creep factor of the two-way mirror. What do you mean you didn't get the creep? Did you find it creepy? Well, yeah, that they would even have a two-way mirror. Like, this is supposed to be his cousin's cabin. Right. Why would his cousin's cabin have a two-way mirror? It's creepy. That's why it's there. What did it add to the story is what I was trying to kind of get at. Well, what did the picture of the uh, carnage add to the story? That just kind of... I thought the carnage was actually a picture from the Buckner family. No, no. Um, does it add anything to the story? No. Is it creepy? Yes. It's all it's... I took it as it's just uh, enhancing the creep factor in that cabin. Or... Maybe it was there so we could see that Holden was a stand-up guy who would not, you know, watch her through the mirror and switch rooms with her just to kind of give us another indication of who Holden was. Sure. What I love about movies is if something isn't explained and you come up with a reason for it, then God bless you. Because they did that on purpose, mm -hmm. right? And so you're talking about it, and you're coming up with your own shit. During this whole thing, we're flashing back to the facility every so often. Uh, what do you guys think of all the whiteboard and the bedding and how it seems like nobody's taking this whole thing as seriously as it is? Well, I like what the gal from Chem says. They're just blowing off steam. Um, I, I didn't see it coming, uh, that's for sure. And I thought it was just another way of taking the horror genre and kind of turning it on its head. I don't know. I, I really dug it. I like, I like the way it turned it around. Yeah. I think that probably one of the biggest things that was revealed early on to show that this is going to be something very, very different is when they're on their way up to the cabin and we see that bird soaring across the sky and then he and then he is vaporized by that force field. Great shot. And yeah, definitely you ask yourself, what the fuck is going on? But after the, the second time when I watched it, I wish the filmmakers didn't put it there. Because it would have been more dramatic to have Kurt die. Way more dramatic in my opinion. Yeah, but you see it coming, yeah. Right, is what it is. But you're right. It definitely uh, is off-putting. Without going through everything that was on the whiteboard for when they're doing the betting pool, uh, did you catch some highlights on there? Did you catch it? Did any of them stand out at you? No, um, I did like the merman, you know, and I uh, every every now and then when I would watch it, I would go and see what ones I missed or you know, but they all seemed. Uh, they all either came from a movie or a video game or a horror legend. Mm -hmm. And I think when doing something like this, yeah, why not pay homage to a lot of stuff? Yeah. Uh, the, the couple of them that really stood out to me was Angry Molesting Tree, which is from Evil Dead, Deadites, which is obviously from Evil Dead. And I, I liked how they refer to them as zombie redneck torture families. 
they put on a unicorn and then they put on the name Kevin at the very end. Mm-hmm. Was there any of them that stood out to you? No, not at the time. There's another fun moment that happens uh, around this time, which is when Mordecai calls in to the control room. And I have, love that. And you have that whole little bit about, am I on speaker? That is so rude. And it takes us in a different direction. And I thought it was funny. I thought it was a fun little moment. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things with that. First of all, I have in the past occasionally brought up elements of possible foreshadowing. So I'm going to do that again anyway. Uh, the Harbinger on the phone. Well, thanks for letting us know. Harbinger on the phone. Did you catch that he said, the fool will nearly disrail everything? Yeah. Which, again, is foreshadowing because Marty pretty much does. Right. So I thought that was an interesting quick little reference in there that the Harbinger was telling him. And he even made mention on the call, the Harbinger, of, you know, they're going to die because they didn't take him seriously, all that kind of stuff. But you notice the two facility guys were not taking him seriously. So were they jinxing themselves as well? I don't know if they were jinxing themselves. Nobody listened to Mordecai. That was the point. Mm-hmm. And he was right. He was right about the fool, and it came back and bit him. Yeah, So they didn't take him seriously. That, that's what I just said. Exactly. Yeah. So the gang is swimming, and then that's when all of the bets are happening. Yeah. And there is a, there is a line that happens after all of the betting is, is over with. And I think it's Hadley who says, let's get the party started. Well, during the betting scene, uh, there's this new security guard or um, uh, security detail expert, whatever. Truman. Is, yeah, Truman. Um, I like that they had him in there because it was a way to tell the audience what was going on or why they were doing things or trying to give like a moral of, you know, why do we have to do this? He was kind of that role he played. Yeah, and it gave the filmmakers an excuse to give us, the audience, a narrative of, of the story in just a couple of scenes, you know. And uh, Thomas is kind of watching all of this go on, and they're making the bets, and the bets are in, and this, that, and the other. The betting scene is funny. And he says, but you're rigging the game, so how can you bet on that? And this is where they explain, you know, uh, the participants still have to do this out of free will. They have to make a choice. And uh, Hadley says, it's like the harbinger. They can either choose to ignore them or they can listen to them. If they listen to them, then we lose, mm-hmm. right? But nine times out of ten, and we know this from every horror movie we've ever watched, they always ignore the harbinger because... They have to transgress, and then they have to be punished, and that is the theme of that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that this was a good bit of storytelling for us, and realistically, it could be applied to many, many horror films. Yeah. So It's basically you look at like Hellraiser where they play with the box. You look at you know all these different things of these different movies, and yeah, they always make poor choices. Well, yeah, that's the, that is the key ingredient to a horror film. Bad choices. And having sex. Yes, well, I mean, if you're going to go, <laughs> go with me- a smile. Do you remember that one Geico commercial where the teenagers are at, 
a scary farm and they make just one bad decision after another. Yeah. Well, let's go into that barn and they have all that equipment hanging down and the saws and this and behind all these sharp jagged objects. Yeah. <laughs> we we could go to the, the the car that's that's on or let's run to the cemetery. Cemetery. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, uh they are so the kids are partying in the cabin playing, and playing some truth or dare. And we get the bit where Jules makes out with the wolf. What do you think of that scene? Um, what sells it for me and <laughs> what well, made me smile and chuckle was her uh, interacting with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, me? Oh, no, I'm new. <laughs> you know, she totally played she the part. Plays a, like he made a comment about her hair. Yeah, and like, she oh, totally yeah, twirls her it. hair. Yeah, I, I thought that was pretty good. Did you know? And, but you know what my favorite part of that whole bit is? When uh, Marty says, I dare you to kiss, and then Kurt's all, Dana, Dana, Dana. Dana. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says something like, that moose. Yeah. And it's like, do you even know what a moose is? Yeah. Uh, Did you know how they made that scene a little easier for her? Uh, (laughs) uh, No, how? They put powdered sugar on the tongue of the wolf, and the tongue was obviously removable. Obviously. Obviously. Well, yeah, but they powdered sugared it, so. Oh, yummy. There you go. They sugar-coated it. <laughs> there he is, ladies and gentlemen, the professor. The cellar door bursts open. And I love how Kurt says, oh, the wind did that. And the same time, I'm thinking, Marty says, yeah, because that happens. Which, again, we're poking fun and mm-hmm. and the 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 mist or the drugs that are being pumped into this uh, cabin are affecting them. So... Naturally, since they're playing truth or dare, Dana is dared to go downstairs. Um, what'd you guys think of this whole bit? Well, it was supposed to be super creepy, and I thought it was full of lots of ooky little things. And it was fun that we didn't get the reveal right away that we are looking through stuff and we're wondering what the hell it is she's looking at. Right. And it took a while for everybody to get down there. It did. And I like the way they lit it and the way they kind of moved around from section to section. Uh, But what I really appreciated was the second time watching it. Uh, As they go downstairs, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I want to look for stuff that I haven't seen before. And The Cabin in the Woods is one of those movies where you can do that. I dig it. Well, I just really love the idea, just even the thought of what they pick down there or whatever they play with, if they take it to a certain point, that is the monster that's coming to get them. And so trying to figure out, obviously, conch shell that's going to be the mermaid the little music box of the ballerina it's probably going to be that little ballerina that didn't have a face um you know the different little things like they had the mask from uh the what was that uh the people next door what was it called the, the strangers one? the strangers so just those little elements down there you know the the hellraiser was instead of a bot or it was a uh, circular thing instead of a box but it's almost like you could see different movies playing out depending on what they had actually picked. Oh, sure. Kind of hope they'd picked something else and not had the Buckner family. I thought it was kind of lame that, that they are taken down into the basement and you have all of these things. There's got to be hundreds of things down there all for which way would you like to die? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they don't know that at the time. Exactly. Right? They don't know that, but still really cheeky. And I, I think it's kind of funny that, uh, yeah, they did go with the Buckners and, you know, the 
I guess you could say they were really modeled after the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, if they family. were zombies. Yeah. And, but I liked that uh, as she's starting to read, everyone's kind of uh, doing their own thing. Uh, you were saying the, the conch shell, blah, blah, blah. And it's Marty who's trying to have them come to their senses. Like, guys, this is not a good idea, right? He knows that no good can come from this. It's like he's been in a horror movie before. Yeah, like, because don't. if I was in that same situation, I would have done the same. I would have taken the fucking book. All right. Do not read from this fucking book. Put everything down. Let's go upstairs and smoke a bowl. Mm-hmm. And the fact you have so much creepy stuff down there from a basement door that suddenly slams open. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, because that happens. <laughs> and then uh, she does read from it. <laughs> and the Buckners are risen from the grave. Awoken. Awoken. And, um, every, and, and it turns out, guess who won? The maintenance department and one other person. And the intern. (laughs) Hadley releases pheromones to induce Kurt and Jules to have sex outside. They are attacked by the zombies and Jules is decapitated while Kurt escapes. Marty discovers concealed surveillance equipment in his room before being stabbed and dragged off by a zombie. The lab workers learn that the right in Japan has also failed, meaning that the American right is humanity's last hope. Kurt, Holden, and Dana attempt to escape in their RV, but Citizens triggers a tunnel collapse to block them. Kurt attempts to jump a ravine on his motorcycle to seek help on the other side, but crashes into a force field and falls to his death. Holden and Dana then realize that their experience is staged and controlled. Holden is killed by a zombie while driving the RV, causing it to crash into the lake, but Dana manages to escape. So this is where it really kind of turns into the horror movie, right? Up until now, it's been facility, setup, and then, you know, the creepy cabin. And so we're about halfway into the movie now. Yeah. Yeah. It takes 44 minutes before we have our first kill in this movie. That's about halfway through the movie. Yeah. And I got to say, the movie is paced very well. And this scene that comes up, it's your paint by numbers, don't have sex, or you're going to die scenario. That is a classic horror trope. Well, I I love the scene where everybody is staring. Like, I think it's all guys. I don't even think there was any, I tried to look for it, any women in that audience uh, in the facility that they're all staring in the screen waiting for her to take her top off. Right. And she doesn't. And everyone goes, Oh, but yeah, they're being watched and Jules isn't really feeling it at the moment. And Kurt's, you know, trying to do his thing, whatever. But the facility guys are like, we can't have this. So they up the pheromones. They turn up the heat because she said it was cold. Did you like She's the light changed, comes on? The light that? comes on and lights that little area. And so, I mean, Jules can't resist. It may have looked fairly obvious, but did you know there were no outside scenes? They were all filmed indoors on a stage. Uh, I didn't really notice. Me neither. The other thing I read was, um, what was his name, the director? Goddard? Yeah. The other thing I read is Goddard was brought up in a very Christian religious type of background. And the idea of her 
exposing herself was a hard issue for him to deal with. She had to basically talk him into that it was okay for me to show my boobs and all this stuff for him to finally accept it. It was a really hard scene for him to film. Oh, my heart goes out to the guy. Yeah. I thought it was curious that they had the outdoors covered as well. The pheromone mist can come up right where they're at. Holy moly, right? There were a lot of convenient things in this movie. And I, fortunately for me, uh, it didn't take me out because I was having a fun ride. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the pheromones coming up, I mean, it's a little convenient. I felt like maybe the way they had set up paths and everything, that they were being led into certain directions. Oh, they were. During this time, we also see that uh, there is another uh, situation happening in Japan with these schoolgirls seeing uh, the, the ring monster. Right. And so that's suddenly thrust in there with us. Right, because now we are kind of told that uh, these rituals are going on and it is to prevent the end of the world. When they talk about the different rituals failing, did you catch all the movie references for each one? Uh, for not Zimbabwe, what? Uh, what was Buenos Aires? Okay, Japan, so for Buenos Aires, Stockholm, and Madrid. For Japan, it was the ring. For Buenos Aires, it was King Kong. Yep. For Stockholm, it was the thing. For did I say Japan already? You already said Japan. Madrid is left. Uh, Madrid, I believe, is for Dracula. Yeah. That was was supposedly all the references that they were making. Yeah. So as they begin to make love, guess what? What did you guys think of this bit? I was a little surprised that we didn't actually get to see uh, very much blood during the attack. It was all about the lead up to what was going to happen to Jules. And a lot of quick cuts. Yes. Uh, I think that uh, what did he? I think that bear trap on a chain. That was brutal. Some fucking bullshit, if you ask me. No way do any of those victims who get hit with that fucking thing get up and walk away. No fucking way. True that. Right. True that. Uh, but Jules unfortunately gets pinned and captured by three of them, and they pull out the oldest looking rickety saw that I've ever seen, and you know nothing good's gonna happen. And they cut her head off. Mm -hmm. So our first kill. And then after the first kill, we see down in the laboratory. A little slumber prayer. And I thought that was kind of a nice touch. They understand that this is fucked up, but ultimately they're doing it for the greater good. The The greater greater good. So uh, Hadley opens up the fucking wall, pulls the lever. Now, here's my question. Was it actually Jules's blood? Or was it blood that is, like, kept in reserve? I kept thinking about that. They would have had to have some way to collect the blood right at that location. So my thought is, really, because they mentioned this a couple times, the Elder Gods or whatever down below are just there for the show. They're just watching for the show. So I think they could use any sacrificial blood. Um, No, it's not just for the show. It's for the sacrifice. Yeah, well, it's for the, the ritual. Sacri- but they're 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 entertaining them is basically what they kind of say a few times. Well, I was curious where the blood came from as well. It's probably not the victim's blood, but it's to be inferred that it could be correct. Yeah. And we see this whole elaborate setup underground, and the blood goes into the thingamadoodle, and now one out of five, mm-hmm. the whore gets it. And I they're supposed to die in order. Yeah. Right. Uh, what was it? The whore. The, the jock. jock, the scholar. No. No, no, the fool. No, it's the horror, the fool, the jock, 
the scholar, and then the virgin is optional can go if, she, either way. if she's the last one. Right. You're right. So, meanwhile, back in the cabin, Marty hears a voice. Go for a walk. And he's like, what the fuck? Which is funny because, I mean, he's the stoner, right? Well, he had mentioned earlier, even in the basement, that he was starting to hear voices, yeah. which you think means if he had been susceptible to the gases and all that, that would have just been subliminary to him. Uh, maybe. And so he bumps, what's, is this the point where he bumps the lamp and finds the camera or the microphone? Not yet. Not he yet. goes outside to take a leak and oh. then uh, Kurt shows up. We do see patients in the background. Yes. She's, she's kind of walking around. and She's ambling along. And this is also when Holden and Dana are hooking up and Kirk runs back, freaked out, gets uh, Marty. They go inside. Well, Kirk fucking clotheslines patients. Did you mm -hmm. notice that? Yeah. <laughs> and they go into the house, they lock the door, and now they are they need to come up with a plan. Well, even before they lock the door, is that when the, the father, Buckner, tries to open the door and then throws the head in? Well, he knocks on the door. Oh, he knocks on the door. And uh, Dana's like, I'm not leaving without Jules, even though Kurt just said Jules is gone. And Marty cries out, don't open that fucking door. But Dana opens the door, and it's Papa Buckner with the fucking head. Mm -hmm. Gross. So they manage him to keep him out for a minute, and Kurt, I Kurt says, we got to play it safe and stick together. And I love the reaction for the guys in, the, in the laboratory. They're like, God damn it. Because in a horror movie, you do not split up. Mm -hmm. And then, and then they, what does Hadley say? Watch the master work. And he does a little doop -a doop doop boop. And the, some more mist comes out right in Chris Emsworth's face at the perfect opportunity. And he says, no, wait, this feels wrong. We should split up and, and everybody secure their room. And do you notice Holden goes, yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. And Marty, really? <laughs> He's the only one that has common yeah. sense. They get to their rooms and they're locked in. This is where Marty finds the camera in the lamp. And then he gets pulled out. He, follow, he follows the line. And then he's standing right there at the window. And you know, you know what's happening. Why do you stand at the window? Right. So uh, he gets pulled out and he gets attacked. And we think that Marty is going to meet his demise here. Well, the interesting thing, did you catch when uh, the facility guys think Marty has been died and they pulled the lever? Did you catch what happened that was different than any of the other times the levers were pulled? The second time I watched it, I noticed they, they, it's like an earthquake. You get the earthquake. And uh, I read that that was supposed to represent the elder gods knew Marty was still alive and that the lever was pulled by mistake. So that was kind of a foreshadow that something was wrong here. I took it as the wrong blood got in. So yes, they would still know that it, it, Marty wasn't dead, but the wrong blood, it was the Buckner blood because he manages to kill. Dis him. Well, I guess he dismembers him, right? With a trowel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Something was different about this kill. Mm -hmm. But then they kind of shake it off. Yeah, they don't even notice that there was a big earthquake that yeah. all of a sudden happened. Yeah. Didn't they say something like somebody's excited down there? Or, or they're, or they're, yeah, they're getting all kinds of excited. That's why that's happening. You have Dana. She's about ready to get attacked. And then Holden rescues her by breaking the, uh, the two-way mirror. And they flee down to the basement. And conveniently, there's a trap door in the room that they're trapped into. Yes. Into the Buckner basement. Which, I mean, come on. Fuck that. 
right? First of all, I'm not even going to that cabin. But, I mean, they go down there, and it's the torture room. And naturally, they're not going to be alone for very long. And this is the bit where I kind of went, what the fuck? And so this bear trap on a chain comes in, and it grabs Holden, and it flings him all, all the way across the fucking room. You can't tell me he's getting up after that. No shit. Right? Well, he was in good shape. He's an athlete. Was he? I thought he was the scholar. He was, uh, they said in the very, very beginning, Kurt mentioned that he had just transferred to the school to play on the team, but he was also a scholar. Uh, That's why I said some of the lines were a little bit blurred in this movie. And so uh, they go down there and is it Papa Buckner or one of the Buckners? It's a Buckner. uh, Is hanging upside down and Dana takes a crowbar through the eye. That doesn't work. He's still alive. Stabs him to death. I thought this bit was very clever uh, when they electrocute the knife so she drops it. How many times in a horror movie have we even said, you got the villain down, why are you not continually stabbing, punching, beheading, dismembering, anything, right? Well, because the gods don't want it. And yeah. so they, you have to drop your weapon. It also kind of says that maybe it's the gases making people stupid enough to make stupid decisions. And you're right. They electrify the knife. So she drops the knife. You think she would have noticed something in that, but it's those gases. Yeah. They're being completely manipulated. So they find Kurt and they try to make an escape and they get in the RV and they take off. I loved this whole scene of the panic of the tunnel not being uh, destroyed because if you remember back to Evil Dead, he actually tried, Ash tried to flee from the cabin only to find out the bridge had been blown up, had been destroyed. Right. So it made me just go right back to that movie of, oh, they do have an out, this tunnel, but you know it's going to have to blow up before they get there. Yeah, so they're freaking out and... Is it hat? No, Citizen is sprinting to the demolitions department or whatever. And at this time, you have real perilous music. It's not horror movie music. It's it's perilous music. Like like we are oh shit in trouble here. Real real trouble. Absolutely, because again, this is the fate of humanity. Mm-hmm. So he go, he goes in there, and he manages to pull the right circuit board or and you have to wonder how long has this fucker been doing this and he manages to blow the tunnel they know they're trapped they back out but kurt and holden have this great idea we're going to take the motorbike and we're going to jump it yeah and before this happens though we have another moment that happens in the movie while they are still on the road in the rv which is we have a cut back to Japan and all the schoolgirls are having this little kumbaya moment where they change. A little sing along yeah where they change their 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 villain into a happy frog. And they have beat the ritual. They have beat the evil. Love wins, right? Nope. <laughs> Zero fatalities. And I love how don't total loss. Yeah. Doesn't the facility guys go, fuck those Japanese girls? Or what did they say? He says, How hard is it to kill a bunch of nine year olds? Yeah. And then at this time, then we're, this is where we're also told about Stockholm, Buenos Aires, Madrid. They all failed. And so now it's up to the U.S. So they blow the tunnel. They have this idea to jump the ravine. And because they showed us the bird at the beginning, this isn't as impactful as I feel it could have been. But don't get me wrong. The first time I watched this movie, as soon as Hemsworth hits the fucking wall, I 
go, oh, fuck, right? I think for me, the old fuck about the scene wasn't so much him hitting that wall, but the extended amount of times they showed him bouncing against the wall all the way down to show how deep that cliff was. Oh, I thought that was the best part. Just the dunk, the dunk, the dunk, 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 as it goes down. I, I, yeah, no, I, I thought that was fucking awesome. So now they're fucked. It's Dana, Holden, and everybody else is dead that we know of. Uh, they get into the RV, they take off, and Holden's like, fuck this, we're going to drive through the other side. And it's here where Dana starts putting it together that maybe Marty was right. Maybe there are puppeteers, and it doesn't matter what we do, we are meant to die here, mm-hmm. or something like that. Suddenly, a zombie pops out, because of course, and Holden gets stabbed. What did you guys think of this bit? Uh, did the through-the-neck thing remind you of any particular movie? Uh, every horror movie I've ever seen, you're going to have to be a little bit more specific than made that, me, buddy. Made me think Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Papa Buckner would come out of the water and tilt his head, who do you remind you of? Jason. Oh, I was going Michael Myers. Michael Myers? Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. Jason coming out of the water. But, you know, of course, then Holden gets it, and that's when everybody starts celebrating down in the facility because, really, they just had to kill four, and they reveal that the virgin, is, whether she lives or not, is optional. As long as she's last, and she suffers. And she suffers. And so then, do we go to the party scene where I thought it was so interesting, everybody's partying and having a great time, and you're seeing in the back monitors, I specifically this time around, tried to focus on those back monitors of her just getting her ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, they... Because after Holden dies, the RV flies off the road and it plunges into the uh, to the lake. Mm-hmm. And so when she gets out, uh, Papa Buckner's there waiting for her. Yeah. Now, here was a quick little thing that I don't know if I caught it the very first time, uh, but I definitely caught it the you know numerous numerous times I saw after it, where uh, Citizens talking to the de- demolition department. And he mentions, you you know, I really had to save your guys' ass. And they're like, no, you didn't save us. Somebody was fucking with the wiring and caused a diversion, you know, something in th- with the wiring so that it didn't go off. And that was your first indication of who, who, could, who could be fucking with it. Is Marty still alive? The lab employees, seeing that Dana is the only survivor, celebrate the success of the right, but then discover Marty is still alive. Marty takes Dana to a hidden elevator he discovered. They descend into the lab and discover a large collection of different monsters in cages. Dana correlates them with the objects in the cabin cellar and realizes that the objects determine which monsters are released. Cornered by security personnel, the pair release all the monsters, which wreak havoc and slaughter the staff. Hadley is killed while Dana accidentally stabs Sitterson. I think this is where the movie really turns for me. And I think this whole big monster release in the facility, that's my favorite part of the movie. Oh, yeah. This this is the part of the movie where you're going, fuck yeah. Yeah, let's really turn this fucking horror genre on its head. So... um, they're partying. They're having a good time. They think that Dana's going to die because you were saying in the monitor she's getting really fucked up. And, th- yeah, this is the part where Sederson goes up to the maintenance guys and goes, oh, you fuckers. 
you really almost fucked us on that one. And they are genuinely like, nah, man, that was nuts. That was a power glitch from, from upstairs. Yeah. And then we get the red phone ringing, turn off the music. Turn the fucking music off. Because you know, whenever a red phone rings, it ain't good. So Hadley picks up the phone, answers it, and it is discovered that one of the five aren't dead. Everything was done within the guidelines. That's impossible. Which one? And uh, they kind of look at each other like, oh, fuck. And so we cut back to the... To Dana at the moment of her demise. And lo and behold, it's Marty. The fucking stoner. They manage to get Papa Buckner into the water. They take off. And I like the dialogue uh, between Dana and Marty when Marty shows her the elevator thing. The underground area. Yeah. He's, he's like, she looks down and there's these pieces of zombie crawling around. Right. And, he, and he's, I had to dismember this guy with a trowel. But what have you been doing? <laughs> it took me, I don't know if I caught it the first time. It took me a sec to realize that elevator is what the Buckners were brought up in. And so he manages to hotwire the elevator because apparently he's a electrician as well. This is like you said, your favorite part of the movie. I think when I first saw this part and they go into the elevator and it starts to go down and we're starting to slowly reveal these monsters, I thought, ah, an R-rated Monsters, Inc. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you guys think of this whole bit? Just the elevator down and the realization about what was going on. I just love the idea that somewhere out there could be this place that has all of our movie monsters all in one location. And my first thought, I think, when I first saw this movie is, what the fuck would happen if they were all released? I'm wondering, where did they get the monsters from? Do they place an order? And the deities from down below? Yeah. Well, this well is- we, know, we, we know that they get them from the gods. Sign here. <laughs> Well, this is the funny thing. You know, I brought up earlier the different correlations to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And this was actually a storyline that Whedon had done in the Buffy uh, story, in the Buffy TV series, that there was a place where they had collected all of these monsters, put them all in one location, and we're going to use them for army purposes. And lo and behold, when the good guys find out about it, they hit a button. All the doors open and all these different vampires, werewolves, monsters come out and eat their captors. I was also wondering, you know, if you have all these monsters all whacked up, do they just go back together? And then what do you do with them after they're done and everybody's dead? Do do you corral the monsters up or I don't know. I think it's a little bit like catnip or, uh, you know, uh, leaving little treats. I think like if when the Buckners are done, uh, the pieces. cleanup the cleanup crew goes upstairs and takes little bits of body parts and leads it to the elevator and they get in and you know kind of like that. That's how I think it's. Like. I think though because of this they would not get their reinvest or their uh, deposit back for the Buckners because they got pretty beaten up. Just one of them, really. Yeah. Oh, maybe two. The maybe one that two. got stabbed hanging upside down. The one that got chopped into pieces. Oh, that's two. Yeah. Yeah. The control room finds where they are, and they send the soldiers down to get them. And I think it's funny that they say he has to die, right? He has, you to, have die to, you, he has to die first. He has to die first. But they come in, and they start, well, first the dude is pointing the gun. Yeah, the, the one guy. Yeah, and I mean. He gets distracted. This was my confusing part of they had him trapped in the elevator. 
They opened up the elevator with just one guy out there. I thought they would have like a you know a well, bunch he, of soldiers. He was the first one to get there. Everyone yeah, else was that's, on. That's how I took it. Everyone else was on their way, and they they show that because all of those fuckers just start shooting. And giving no regard to who they need to kill first. That's what I was wondering about. You, you're you going to fuck this up if you kill her first. That's right. Mm-hmm. So they Automatic duck. weapons? Yeah. What did you think of the zombie arm grabbing the soldier? Oh, I thought that was funny. I love how he looks down and you knew he was going out then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they managed to take his gun. And then all of the soldiers come. So they go back in the room. They're firing. And this comes to your favorite part they're going to release all the monsters because there is a big switch on the board that says system purge which seems like a pretty stupid switch to have especially right there it's a big one too but they have it and what does dana say let's get this party started so they hit the button all hell breaks loose what was your uh first initial reaction i guess i was thinking how in the world are Marty and Dana going to get out of this? I think that was mine too, but I also, I just appreciated kind of the calm before it just the explosion of, you know, they're sitting there, like all, all the security guys are sitting there just looking around and you hear the little ding and the doors open and immediate chaos. And that's what sells it for me at least is the ding because you know what's fucking coming. Uh, I think uh, when that snake comes out, uh, which would have never fit in the elevator to begin with. That was from Buffy as well. Um, yeah, just all of the monsters going in. And if you look real closely, one guard gets picked up and ripped in half. Another guard gets you know disemboweled. And there's just a lot of shit going there's on there. There's people getting tossed up in the air and then getting caught by other things. Right, and- yeah. But I think probably my favorite one had to be Hadley. Because it was... Oh, come on, man. Foreshadowing. Yeah. The one thing I thought, especially when I watched it this time, is why don't any of the monsters attack other monsters? Because they don't attack their own kind. You think that maybe they've all been staring at each other for so long that they're just going to go after their captors? Sure, maybe. What I wanted to know was from the time that they all got released, how the pinhead knockoff... Fornic- how he, Fornicus. How he grabs someone was able to bind them and hang them upside down in a stairwell. Did you guys see that? So good. There were some interesting things, like in the background, in one scene, you can actually see a purple people eater who was in the upper left killing people. You could see a giant kitten in one of the cages. Uh, You could see things like uh, when they were looking at the monitors, did you see the intern was trapped in a closet? He was holding up a sign. You couldn't read it, but what the sign said was something about a bat had gotten his scent and was after him. Oh, yeah. So little things like that. There were all these little things going on in the back. That's why, again, love these type of movies. You can rewatch over and over again and keep seeing new things. Sure. I like the bit with the clown because mm-hmm. clowns are fucking scary. And won't die. And I love the fucking unicorn. I thought the unicorn was fucking hilarious. Yeah, so. that was pretty funny. Yeah. So they took all these monsters and movie references and they wrapped it up into a nice little bow and released it on the entire fucking facility. Everyone was fucked. Yeah. Regarding the mermaid, the merman that you brought up, uh, I from what I was looking into this movie, uh, that whole scene with the blood coming out of its little blowhole, they had actually filmed nine minutes worth of blood spraying out and only use the very end of it just a few seconds well that i would call that overkill yeah when they showed it to test audiences this whole movie 
that came out to be their favorite scene was the mermaid scene. Because fucking Merman. Hadley sells it so well. Oh, come on. <laughs> he finally gets to see one. And what even sets it up even more is earlier on, after the Buckners get picked, he's standing there just stewing. Oh, and the small Sid- talk between him and Silverman. And, and Sitterson walks over and he goes, hands. maybe next year, buddy. And you're right. He's all, he fucking had it in his hand. All he had to do was blow on it. Uh, it was good. It's good writing, you know, from Dickhead and Goddard. And so, um, yeah, everybody's fucked, and Dana and Marty manage to escape, and they run through the tunnel, and during this time, Sitterson is trying to escape, and he goes through a hole in the floor, and he's running down the hallway, and he turns the corner, and Dana stabs him. What would you guys think of this? Awkward. Did it yeah. remind you of anything? A little maybe barbarian getting shot? I don't know what. Which also came from the original Night of the Living Dead. Mm. When they shoot the protagonist. Yeah, they shoot him through the door. Yep. So Dana stabs Sitterson, and his last words to her are, kill him. You know, Marty's got to die, or we all die. Again, with all these monsters loose, killing everyone, did you get enough of it, or do you kind of wish there was a little bit more? Are you fucking kidding me right now? I thought it was good. I thought I thought the amount that we got was just fine. Okay. I don't know. I, I'm such a fan of horror movies and horror monsters, especially iconic monsters. I almost I could have just watched a whole movie of that, I think. And that maybe makes me kind of a wrong person. Maybe a little sick in the head, but Well, you are a fan of the Terrifier, so listeners, that should tell you everything you need to know. Well. Dana and Marty discover an ancient temple where they are confronted by the director. She explains that the worldwide annual rituals of human sacrifice are held to appease the ancient ones, a group of cruel subterranean deities. Each region has its own ritual, and the American ritual involves the sacrifice of five slasher film archetypes, the whore, the athlete, the scholar, the fool, and the virgin. The order is arbitrary as long as the whore dies first and the virgin dies last. The director urges Dana to kill Marty to complete the ritual, as all other rituals failed that year. Dana is attacked by a werewolf while Patience kills the director. Marty proceeds to kill all except Dana. Deciding that humanity is not worth saving, Dana and Marty share a joint. The temple floor collapses and a giant hand emerges from the ground, destroying the facility and the cabin as the world ends. Roll credits. So we are down to the nitty gritty and Dana and Marty find themselves in uh, the temple room, I guess, if you will. And I think you asked this earlier about the big shock of Sigourney Weaver. Uh, What did you guys think of it? I liked having her there. She was good. Yeah, I'm glad that they picked uh, a final girl to be the big director in the end. Somebody who is an icon in the horror industry. If it wasn't Sigourney, then Jamie Lee, for sure. But I love Sigourney Weaver and anything she does. And I thought, you know, she comes in probably for a day, day and a half shoot and does this role. And she talks to Dana and she's trying to explain to them what's going to happen or what's going on. And Dana actually considers shooting Marty. Mm -hmm. Now 
I was reading about an interview with Sigourney Weaver about why she did this movie. Do you know what was one of the biggest selling points for her to do this movie? The evil wins at the end? She had always wanted to do a movie with a werewolf. Oh, well, there you go. And the guy who played the werewolf, apparently he's been a werewolf in many other movies, including Underworld. Oh, there you go. He's a werewolf aficionado. Yeah. So, yeah, Dana thinks about shooting him, but at the same time, the werewolf is creeping up, and Marty doesn't warn her. I think she would have shot Marty had the werewolf not jumped her. I agree. But she says, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I think she would have shot him, too. I mean, because you're talking about the entire human race. And so the director also is fights Marty while this is all going on. And we know that this is going to be the climax and the director gets an ax to the head. Thanks to patience. Well, I love that we see patience coming and Dana kind of throws a hint out to Marty who's able to flip himself over. So he's on his back putting the director in the position of getting axed. Yeah. And then Marty kicks them both over the edge. You would think that would be a good sacrifice for the gods, right? I guess not, greedy fuckers. Okay, but how about everything that was going on upstairs? That's not enough of a sacrifice either? Well, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. You got to think, there's got to be at least one stoner up there, one of the person who didn't pass his drug test. And there's got to be a couple of virgins up there too. Yeah. For fuck's sakes. Gods, why why are you fucking with us? The ancient gods are pretty greedy. Yeah, well, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, they are. Uh, So they sit on the steps, and this is probably my favorite part of the movie. Uh, where they share a doobie. They share a doobie and fucking evil wins. I remember watching it and the hand comes out and slams down and that's it. The world is over. The world ends. And I'm like, right on. They fucking wanted to swing for the fences and they did. And yeah. One thing that I love uh, that happened was immediately after a early preview screening uh, with fans, there was a Q&A section that they asked. The very first question that was asked to the director, Drew Goddard, was, will there be a sequel? Do you know what his response to that was? How could there be a sequel if the world is over? His response was, have you seen the ending of the movie? Well, yeah, that's... So it sounded to me very Dawn-type response. Oh, well, thank you very much, buddy. And that was The Cabin in the Woods. What would you guys think? Needed more blood. No, I thought it was plenty bloody enough. Plenty bloody enough. So I have one question. Since we're talking about all the different monsters in the cages, there was a certain archetype that felt like was missing. What was that? There were no orcs. You mean from the Lord of the Rings? Of course. Oh, don't, don't. Oh, fuck. And now it's time for John's... Moment. This is the point in our podcast where I compare the movie we are currently reviewing to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. The movie is mainly focused on the virgin, Dana Polk. Therefore, it's about her journey making her our Frodo. Her journey starts from a timid young woman not knowing what she wants to being more of a decisive final girl by the end of the movie. Dana Samwise would be her friend Jules as it is Jules who talks her into the trip and helps her the most to come out of her insecure shell. And she's very supportive of Dana. Jules would also be my pick for Boromir, not for the fact that she betrays Dana, 
but in the fact that she's the first to die. The leader of our group is obviously Kurt. From the start, he is seen as the leader of the group. When shit goes down, he definitely takes charge. He even is willing to put his life on the line, which doesn't end well, to try to save the group. This makes Kurt our Aragorn. Holden is a loyal friend to Kurt. New to the group, but close enough that Kurt invites him along. Early on, he shows he's good with projectiles by catching Kurt's pass via the window. He also is shown to have intelligence while a little bit elfishly awkward. That makes Holden our Legolas. Marty comes off as a comical stoner. But as the movie progresses, you see wisdom in his words. He defends the group against the Harbinger standing between him and his group. He tries to talk the group into not playing with the things in the basement. He even appears to die and rise again, much like Gandalf the Grey became Gandalf the White. He's also the one who figures everything out. The pot he smokes, giving him the ability to block the gases the facilities use. And if you recall from Lord of the Rings, Gandalf was always puffing on that long pipe of his. So that makes Marty our Gandalf, if that wasn't already obvious. This would make our fellowship Dana, Jules, Kurt, Holden, and Marty. The director may seem to be the one in charge, but really she's doing the bidding of others. She does what she feels is for the greater good. The The greater greater good. So in this case, the director is our Sauron the White. The facility technicians, Gary and Steve, serve the director without question. That would make both of them worm tongue. Daniel Truman, the facility control room security officer, I felt he was the Urukai general working for Sauron the White. Now you might feel the director, who looked like the person in charge, would be our Sauron. But if you paid close attention, even the director served a higher master, the ancient gods below. The whole thing was a tribute, a sacrifice, basically a show for those ancient gods to appease them. That makes those ancient gods our Sauron. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Cabin in the Woods, the best analogy or comparison to the one ring is the bigger picture. In the beginning of the movie, our fellowship is all focused on their own little issues that are going on in their lives, especially Dana. She's focused on her affair that she's having with the professor and is cautious about opening up to others. By the end of the movie, she's evolved to a high level of fuck it all with Marty by her side. And all it took was a whole lot of suffering, similar to Frodo on his journey, to get her there. It's when she lets everything go that Dana appears to be at peace with everything. And there you have it, my comparison of The Cabin in the Woods to Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. What you got there, tough guy? Well, your uh, fellowship is solid. And I think that the... uh, I was waiting to hear how the ring was going to go in the bigger picture of things. And in the end, eh, I'll give it an A. What the fuck just happened? Wow. Hey, it's not the first time I've given him an A. Oh, I'm sure it's the first time you'll give him the D. I'll say you definitely gave me something over here. Okay there, buddy. Let's calm down a little bit. Uh, the Fellowship, no-brainer. All of this no-brainer. I'm giving you an F because it was a no-brainer. 
I'm just fucking with you. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> After further review, I'm just kidding. Um, no, your fellowship was solid. Uh, I liked the director bit, which is funny because you said the director, she, and then I, my first thought was, dude, Drew Goddard is not a she because he was the director. Anyways, I digress. I am going to give you a B plus. Did you want to hear I had one more, but I left him out? Sure, go ahead. I was debating on who would be Gaul. And that was John's. Moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys are ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, are you ready to rate this flick? It may be the gas talking, but I'm definitely feeling more than ready to rate this flick. It's not too bad. That's too bad. Hey, Professor, how do we do our ratings? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. Somebody says, hey, you want to watch The Cabin in the Woods? Fuck yeah, I do. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it one time and it's, I'm never watching that again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is, oh, for shit's sake. What the hell? Why did you make me watch this movie? I want one hour and 35 minutes of my life back. Or in other words, we don't give a fuck. All right there, tough guy. Your pick, your review. But before I go. I'm going to stick with the 4.75 fucks I said at the opening of the show. Final answer. Final answer. Go. Okay. The Cabin in the Woods plays with audience expectations and offers a fresh perspective on the rules of a typical horror movie. Similar to other movies that challenge the horror formula, like the Scream franchise, it takes a critical view of the whys and the hows beyond just senseless killing. It even, in its own way, challenges the viewer at the end with a moralistic question. You can die with them or you can die for them. Which would you choose? In my opinion, it deserves its place among the best horror movies of recent years. One of the film's greatest strengths is its self-awareness. It acknowledges and plays with the typical elements that you always find in horror movies. The group of friends consists of the types of characters we've seen countless times before. A jock, a scholar, a fool, a virgin, a promiscuous girl... The Cabin in the Woods takes those cliché characters and turns them into something more. What sets this film apart is its unique twist. It creates a subplot that could almost easily fit into any other horror movie. I found this to be an engaging and fun satirical look at at the horror genre itself. Are we the angry elder gods watching from afar, ready to destroy everything, basically ready to trash a movie when the story doesn't go the way we expect. Visually, Cabin in the Woods did a great job creating a classic, eerie, horror, creepy Cabin in the Woods atmosphere. The creature designs were fun in their callbacks to other popular movies without being too obvious. It gives the viewer reasons to re-watch the movie to catch all of the outside movie references. It also didn't hurt that I was a fan of Josh Whedon until lot of things I heard about happening, especially back during his Buffy the Vampire days. Goddard and Whedon worked together previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Much of the dialogue, characters, creatures, and plot direction had strong Buffy vibes. Not only were some of the creatures 
almost directly from Buffy, but at least two of the actors in the movie were originally from the Buffy verse. With 44 minutes until the first kill, I had a slight issue with the pacing. I thought things could have gone a little faster in the beginning. We didn't need as much of the stuff in the cabin to get us to, you know, the first kill. But from the first kill, things really take off on a fun and wild ride of what the hell will happen next. All the rules felt like they were thrown out the window with this whole facility thing. And personally, I appreciate this movie ended on the idea of fuck it all. It makes me think if everyone would have made the same decision, and as I've said before, I enjoy a movie that makes me think. Overall, I appreciate how The Cabin in the Woods challenges the conventions of horror. It's clever writing, self-awareness, and innovative storytelling makes it a standout entry in the horror genre. It's a movie I have no issues recommending to just about anyone. So with that, I'm giving The Cabin in the Woods 4.75 fucks. Nailed it. Pretty good. Yeah. I even fucking called it before we even got started, huh? Yeah, you called it right at the beginning. I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's your kind of movie. It's like you know me. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, I'll go ahead and go next. Very good. Yeah. You go first. Hey, you didn't see that coming, did you? Uh, I really enjoyed Cabin in the Woods. I thought it was smart. The first time you watch it, horror movie, sure. Second time you watch it, eh, I don't know. Uh, Definitely has horror elements, definitely falls into the horror genre. But if I'm looking for a horror movie to scare me, am I watching The Descent or am I watching Cabin in the Woods? Right? Cabin in the Woods uh, takes every archetype, stereotype, genre, and kind of flips it on its head. So much foreshadowing that you can almost predict everything that's going to happen. But at the same time, even though you predict it, you're having fun with it. You knew that chances are Dana might have been the final girl. And at times you think that you know what's going to happen. That's when Goddard and Dickhead change it on you. Like, I didn't see that ending coming, and I really, really enjoyed that ending. I enjoyed the campers. I enjoyed the facility workers. I really enjoyed Sigourney Weaver. The music was good. The story moved along. I thought the pacing was fine, an hour and 35 minutes, whatever it was. That's my cup of vodka. So I'm giving The Cabin in the Woods 4.5 fucks. Okay. Put that in your travel mug bong and smoke it. So The Cabin in the Woods is a movie that I hadn't seen in probably two years or so. And I was curious what I would think about it this time around. And when I watched the movie for the first time, I was, I was, I wouldn't say impressed, but I thought, oh, all right, that's pretty, pretty, pretty fun, I guess. Yeah. And after watching it this time, I paid a lot more attention to the movie because it was uh, a movie that I know that I'm going to be analyzing. And in general, I thought that all of our protagonists are likable enough characters that are of the standard trope and they are stereotypical. And with them being like that, I didn't necessarily find myself getting into any one of the characters any more so over the any more so over the others. Everybody has a couple of zingy little lines that they do. The uh, the the two uh, the two characters of Hadley and Citizen, I thought that they were uh, you know desk jockeys, if you will, you know, of a standard 
office. You know, they, they have lots of small talk banter going back and forth. And it's, it's curious to juxtapose that with the horror element. But what these two characters do bring to the movie is a gallows humor that is fun for the movie. And in watching the movie with all of this together and having it go back and forth between being a suspense, a horror, maybe sort of a little bit of a black comedy. In the end, I'm looking at the movie and I know I'm not going to watch it again anytime soon. I, I don't know if I'll ever seek it out. And I think that for a horror movie, it's it's a fun enough watch, but for me, I'm giving it two fucks. Two fucks from the professor. I feel like we are in a time machine. I feel like we did this last week. Interesting. With 4.75 fucks from the comic book guy, two fucks from the professor, and four and a half fucks from yours truly, that gives The Cabin in the Woods an average score of 3.75 fucks, which ties it with Fallen, Hell or High Water, The Blues Brothers, and Book Smart. It is slightly better than Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Green Street Hooligans, and Dogma, and slightly worse than Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I, I was thinking of a similar thing that you and I, we kind of sort of traded places based on what happened with the movie review from last week. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'll say it like I said last week. That's the beauty of the movies. So that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website. Speaking of which, John, where can they find us? Well, they can find us at threeguysinaflick.com, where typically I update the website every week. But, you know, this whole thing of going out of country and all that, I've fallen a little behind, but I will try to catch up soon. Uh, At that website, normally you would find all of our podcasts, uh, blogs, Uh, anything else we feel like posting, as well as a web form that you can go ahead and submit what movie you would like us to review next. You can also find us at all of social media or any place that hosts podcasts. All right. I just want to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank anyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. Um, Are you sick? Do you have a cold there, guy? Yes, sir. You son of a bitch. That'll give him the sexy voice. Oh, okay, well. Fuck, I take that back then. I'll just cut right to the word, and mm. we just move right along. It's not a big deal. Which mm-hmm. is a sign of a good editor. Well, thanks, but Get your tongue out of my ass, Gary. Tonight's episode, Cabin in the Woods. Beware, spoilers. Is it the Cabin in the Woods or Cabin in the Woods? I, I saw it has a the in front of it, if it matters. Well, I guess it matters now, doesn't it? Just calling it out. This fucking guy. I know, because I had written up everything as Cabin in the Woods and then went back and fixed it all. 
Why? Why would you go back? You know what? You know what? I, I don't care. I don't Someone care. had a committee I, meeting and said, we have to have the word the in there. I, 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 again, I don't care. The. You son of a bitch. Tonight, we are wrapping up our Halloween special. What? Fucker. Didn't you just finish saying you want to do one more? No, not necessarily. I, I asked you guys if you wanted to, and you guys were like, I don't care. Yeah, either way. See? <laughs> I have a bunch of trivia questions. I thought I would leave some pauses in case you want to delete any of them. Like to cut it down. What's a bunch? I've got like uh, 20. 20? 20. I don't know. I got a whole bunch of Holy them. Holy shit. Yeah, you're fucking killing me with that guy. I, I'll try to cut some of them out. <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> All right, fucker. Let's do this. And I'll take it. Yeah, you I'm going to ride that A that I got from Fresa for a while. Oh, you're going to ride the A, all right. Oh. Hi there, Professor. Yeah, I guess. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which movie we will be reviewing next, please check out our website, which John will eventually update. Speaking of John, where can they find... Speaking of John. All right, fuck, great show. Bong hits all the way around. Load them up, boys. <laughs> I can't... T- I had a hard time seeing where my mic was with all the smoke in this room. Well, I'm telling you, this is the way we need to do the podcast from here on out. It seemed like it went on forever. Next movie, Cheech and Chong's Nice Dreams. Where are the Doritos? I was looking for smoke. (laughs) You got a, a name for this one? I do. I do. Do you have one? I have one, but I'm not thrilled with it. I think we might have the same one, which I think is kind of funny, so hang on. Uh, Professor, what do you got for this one? Wait, I want to hear what you got. Okay. Cabin of wood. That's not bad. I had the cabin with my wood. Well, that's not bad either. Professor? His cock in there whoops. (laughs) (laughs) All right. May all of your uh, days and nights be filled with happiness. All right. Fuck off. Good night. Good night.